The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. In the sermon today, we return to Brother Buddy Abernathy's series on the book of Revelation. When last we visited this book, we were talking about the church at Laodicea and all the parallels to our times. Today, Brother Buddy takes us into Revelation chapter 4, which switches views from the earthly to the heavenly. This view of heaven is what John was given to encourage and uplift him and all of those saints in that day that were facing such severe persecution and it ought to uplift us today. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. I'm 
continue tonight looking at the book of Revelation. So far we've looked at the first three chapters and the greater majority of those chapters are the letters that Jesus had John write and deliver to the seven churches of Asia Minor. These were actual, real churches, not imaginary churches. The problems there are problems that the church could have at any period of time. And certainly as you read about them, especially as I read about the last church, the Laodicean church that was rich and increased with goods and had need of nothing, I feel like I can relate to that. But tonight we're going to begin chapter 4. And this is a transition in the focus of the book. So there's several things that I want to point out in the beginning. First of all, it's worth noting that Jesus has addressed the churches up until the end of chapter 3. And then in chapters 4 and 5, he's going to talk about God's throne in heaven. Now, I think it's significant that he goes from the local church here in this world to eternal heaven. Because many people take the book of Revelation and place a lot of events between the conclusion of the church in this time world and our deliverance to heaven. Maybe you've heard some of these phrases that I just jotted down during the song service. The mark of the beast, 666. The battle of Armageddon. The secret rapture of the church, the great tribulation, all those are concepts taken from the book of Revelation and those are words and phrases that you will find in the book, but almost always they're misunderstood. I believe that as Jesus here transitions from letters to the churches to a description of heaven, that we're given the pattern you'll find throughout the Bible. For example, for those of you that were here Wednesday night, Brother Lonnie used this verse to emphasize that after the end of this time world, or let's say after the conclusion of the church, notice what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but every man in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, 
afterward, watch this now, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming, then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. Notice this. When Jesus returns, then cometh the end. Let me give you one that's even clearer than that. And keep in mind that this is what Paul wrote to the first century church. And notice how he just completely left off all these supposed future dispensations that we're yet to go through before the final end of time. In Colossians uh, chapter 4, or rather chapter 3 and verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Now you would need help to misunderstand that. Put yourself in the first century. It has only been about 30 years since Jesus was in this world and was crucified, buried, and rose again. So that was familiar. They had relatives that were alive at that time. And Paul says to them regarding this event, which is fresh on our minds, he says, when Christ who is our life shall appear. In other words, he's coming back. Then shall you also appear with him, where? In glory. Now, I realize this is a simple message, but it's the truth. Suffice it to say that the Lord Jesus set up His church for His children to find a place of refuge where they can rejoice in the gospel of their salvation, enjoy the fellowship of the saints, and worship Him until he comes. That's how simple it is. <laughs> Jesus saved us. He's coming back to take us home. So there's nothing in Revelation that would contradict this plain Bible doctrine. Someone once told me, always interpret the unclear in light of the clear. Don't go to Revelation to build your fundamental doctrines. But interpret Revelation in light of the plain, literal teaching throughout the rest of the New Testament. So with that in mind, I want you to look at Revelation this way. Whatever may follow from chapter 4 onward is not speaking of some future dispensations. And by dispensation, we're speaking of a period of worship that is 
different from other periods of worship. For example, you've heard us speak of the law dispensation. We're no longer offering animal sacrifices. That form of worship was fulfilled in Christ. That dispensation's over. We sometimes refer to what we have today as the gospel dispensation. And I've been trying to set before you that there's only one more dispensation, and that's the eternal dispensation. Look how that glorifies the Lord. He came to save us, redeem us, secure us, and He says He's coming back to take us home. Here's another thing to consider. This is not the concealment of Jesus Christ. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard someone say, well, you know, I don't read the book of Revelation. I just can't understand it. Well, join the club. I've been an ordained minister for 35 years, and I, I'm, I feel like I'm stepping out on faith to attempt to go through this book. Uh, here's another thing to consider and then we'll proceed but I think it's very important as we transition from chapter 3 to chapter 4 to keep these things uh, in mind the purpose of revelation is not to instill fear it's not to cause you to be worried about the future it's not to say, well, ultimately you're going to be in heaven, but I tell you, there's a lot of bad things that are going to happen before we get there. Now, I realize we may go through persecution. We may suffer in this world. But what I'm saying is there's a not a lot of unfulfilled future prophecies that are required to transpire before the Lord returns. A lot of people talk about what the Lord is going to do in Israel or with Israel. Notice what Jesus said about this in Acts chapter 1. Notice this question the apostles asked, the same thing people are asking today. Acts chapter 1 verse 6, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel. That was 2,000 years ago. People are still asking that today. Notice what Jesus said. It is not for you to know the times and seasons which the Father has put in His own power. You're not the Lord, if He wants to. If, and matter of fact, let's look at one more in Matthew chapter 23. Here's what's required for the Jews to enjoy God's spiritual blessings Again, this in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, for I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. 
Will Israel be restored to spiritual blessings? They will be if and when they're receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he was who he claimed to be. He was the Son of God. He was the Messiah. Now with all of that in mind, one final point. Our concern is not with all of these supposed dispensations and whether God's going to restore Israel. Our focus is to worship God in spirit and in truth and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And keep in mind what Paul told the church at Corinth regarding the communion service, that is, regarding the bread and wine. He says that we're to continue doing this, and this is in my words, that by doing this we're showing forth the Lord's death till He come. See how simple it is? I didn't say the Bible's simple to understand, but the message is not complex. Yet at the same time, I recognize the Bible's inexhaustible. That's because in Him, in Jesus, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and this is His Word. Now let's go to Revelation chapter 4. After this, I looked. Whenever you read that expression or one similar to it in Revelation, that means there's been a, a, a change of focus. He's going to talk about something different now. He has been talking to the churches about their problems and how they needed to repent and change. But now John says, after this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven. So we're getting our focus off the horizontal. Off the problems we have here in this world, even in the church. He says, a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking to me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. In other words, this is what it's going to be when this time world's over. He's going to describe what's going on in heaven right now. But we haven't experienced it yet. We're not there. And in, you'll notice that as he now talks about heaven, that some of the terminology that he uses in this vision of heaven is similar to the terminology used when Jesus will return. Notice he says, the first voice which I heard were, was as it were of a trumpet talking to me. What does the Bible say about when the Lord comes back? Notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and beginning with verse 15. 
For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. You're going to hear a trump sound when the Lord returns. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And again, keep in mind, poor old Apostle Paul didn't know about all of these dispensations that we're supposed to go to go through before the Lord returns. He just simply talked about He's going to come back and we're going to experience the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 51. Paul says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. And then one more, look at uh, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 31, Jesus kind of puts this all together. Matthew chapter 21, verse 34, it says regarding the second coming, He shall send His angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. This morning at Blooming Grove, I think I went on more rabbit trails than I ever have before. I'm going to try not to do that a lot tonight. But notice the point here. That when Jesus comes, He's going to gather together His elect from all over the world. Don't you rejoice in that? We're not dependent upon a religious organization to populate heaven. We're not even dependent on preachers to populate heaven. We're dependent on the truth that God, and it says this in Revelation, by the way, and in uh, chapter uh, 5, and notice in verse 9, this is something going on in heaven. It says, They sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. <laughs> I tell you, election embraces countless more than any other system that requires the efforts of man to save sinners. Election doesn't exclude, it includes. So notice here, back in Revelation again, he says, I, a door was opened, and what happened? The first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet. I'm telling you, there's a day coming, and that door of heaven's going to open, and we're all going to hear a trumpet. A loud trumpet, but here, even in this vision, while John was isolated on the Isle of Patmos, he was the only one receiving this vision, and yet even then, he heard a voice like a trumpet. 
the voice said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So what he's going to observe are those things that we will experience after this world is over. Now you see, God's children, or rather a portion of God's children, are already there in spirit. They're not there in body. They're there in spirit. I realize there's maybe one or two exceptions to that, but we're not going to go into that tonight. But God's people are there in spirit. I will show thee what must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Now I don't think i got to tell anybody who that is. <laughs> There's one throne, and there's one sitting on the throne, and the one referring to here is the first person in the Trinity, as we'll see, God the Father. There's no thrones for people, no thrones for preachers. There's just one throne, and God the Father is on that throne. But notice this, John says... When this door was open and I heard a trumpet, he says, immediately I was in the Spirit. Was this an out-of-body experience? Maybe it was. And I can give you Scripture to suggest that that might be the case. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 through 4. Paul says, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for man to utter. Paradise refers to heaven. Paul says twice, I don't know if this man was in the body or out of the body, but God knoweth. In other words, that doesn't matter to us. We don't need to know whether or not it was an out-of-body experience. But that does prove that that could be the case. He, and I'm not saying that's some common thing that happens to people. It's not. These were special, isolated uh, cases in the first century. But he says he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. And that means primarily it just can't be described. You've got to see it. You've got to experience it. You know, if someone came back from heaven, Lazarus did. You know, Brother Chris pointed out this point in the past, and I've never thought about it. You know, we think about how great it was that Jesus went to the grave and said, Lazarus, come forth. But you know what? Lazarus had to leave heaven and come back to this sin-cursed world. He probably didn't think it was so great. He had to die again. But you know, while he was here, 
I'm sure he tried to describe heaven, but he couldn't describe it. <laughs> he couldn't cause people to see and experience and feel what he had felt. Can you imagine? You know, there's very few times that I can uh, look out across the landscape and say, I just feel so peaceful and content. I never feel, as David said, he said, when I awaken thy likeness, then shall I be satisfied. When I, whenever I have those few experiences where I feel like I'm almost satisfied, I think, man, heaven's going to be great because I'm going to reach that level and I'm going to be at that level all the time throughout eternity. I'll be satisfied. So Lazarus had to go from being satisfied to dissatisfied. It was a great miracle in the observation of everybody else, but the one that was the object of the miracle didn't really get a blessing out of it. But notice Paul says, this man was caught up into paradise. And he heard and saw things that he couldn't Describe, And that's exactly the experience John had. He says, when this voice said, come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. He says, immediately I was in the spirit and behold, here's what I saw. A throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto emerald, and round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting. Okay. The one he saw on the throne was like was to look upon like a jasper and sardine stone. I'm trying not to say sardine stone. I practice that in my mind. Don't, now I'm saying it. Don't say sardine stone. Sardine stone. We might say sar, a, a, a sardis. Now, from the best I can understand... This doesn't necessarily refer to the jewels that we might think about. It seems to be speaking of like a diamond and a ruby. In other words, uh, he said the one that sat on the throne was to look upon like a jasper and sardine stone. In other words, it was something glorious. You think if you had a huge diamond, you know, a, a big diamond, several feet tall, and the light of the sun was shining on it, and think of how, think of how uh, bright and reflective it would be. And furthermore, we'll skip forward just for the sake of emphasis. Notice he says uh, in, uh, in uh, verse... Let me find it. Uh, verse 6, before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. So think of this. Think of a throne like a king sitting on a throne and his appearance was immaculate, bright light. 
reflective light, and the floor was like crystal, which also, if you've ever noticed, when the sun's shining on a lake, and, and when it's just right, you can't hardly look at it. He's describing the scriptural principle that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. And it's a glorious light to behold. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.